Welcome to Recovery with Root, a podcast centered on topics surrounding mental health and addiction. Through our Advanced Recovery Institute, a new entity of the Root Center for Advanced Recovery, we are committed to research and training to elevate clinical care. We hope you find this podcast informative, and most of all, we hope that it helps improve the lives of others. Remember, we're in this together, and recovery is possible. Welcome back to another episode of Recovery with Root. I am joined now with a very exciting guest, Dr. Yifra Kaminar, who is also the winner and recipient of our first ever sponsored grant. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Tell me a little bit about what it means to you to be the recipient of this grant, why you applied for it, and, and what you're hoping to achieve with it. Well, you know, in order to make progress in research, we need to get funding. And I'm doing clinical research. Uh, my main interests are adolescent substance abuse and co-occurring disorders, which is depression and suicidal behavior. I'm also very interested because of our concern of the fatal overdose epidemic that is hitting the United States so badly. And I'm trying to understand a little bit about what is happening in the field and hopefully to be able to design, create interventions to reduce fatal overdose of young people. What do you think it says about the Root Center that we're able to give out these kinds of funds? You know, in the past, instead of someone funding us, now we were able to have folks apply to be selected for this grant. Well, it sounds like you're in in a good place if you can afford providing grants. I think there are three pillars here that for me are very interesting and very important, which are research, clinical work, and teaching. And the ability to combine the three of them enables us to make progress because at the end of the day we would like to improve the life of young people and particularly here to prevent them from ending their life intentionally or non-intentionally. What motivated you to pick this topic? Why is this so inspiring to you? Well, I think that when you are a clinical researcher, you look at what's happening in your field and ask yourself what issues need to be remedied and corrected. And there's no denying, unfortunately, the United States is in the worst position in the world in terms of fatal overdose. And since we work with young people who use substances, evidently we are interested in reducing negative consequences. And death is a terrible negative consequence, particularly for young people who still have the potential of living many, many productive good years. Talk a little bit about what you've already seen up until this point. So maybe some of the statistics or things that people should know when it comes to this topic. Well, Connecticut is not in good shape compared to the rest of the United States, which is also in a poor shape. We've seen an increase of 400% in the last decade in terms of fatal overdose or fatal drug intoxication. Connecticut witnessed in 2021 more than 1,500 people who perished due to drug overdose. And roughly speaking, about 10% of them are young people under the age of 26. We have been doing some work, Rebecca Burke and I, with the medical examiner of Connecticut, whose building is actually next to ours, reviewing death certificates, trying to understand manner of death. Manner of death means, is it intentional or non-intentional? Because population, any kind of population, is highly heterogeneous. You can't just say one size fits all. So the majority of cases you can say are unintentional, but I was always concerned that There's a certain level of intentionality here, always very interested in depression and suicidal behavior in the context of substance use disorder. And we have found a certain number of young people that their death was determined and suicidal, even though it was what people call overdose. This is probably a very conservative estimate because the medical examiner need to be very 
accurate in pinpointing what's happening. So the number is probably larger. Now, I don't know if this is a trend, but we just compared 2018 to 2021, and we're about to publish this paper, hopefully. In 2021, we've seen, I think, 13 or 14 cases of young people that it was definitely determined as in, intentional. So that's very alarming. We also see the age of overdose, including intentional overdose, decreasing to early teens. So we are still in the middle of the storm, and we would like to find ways to decrease any kind of overdose. From your perspective, speaking, you know, that the United States is in a really terrible situation, Connecticut as well, What do you think drives this problem right now? I think that American patriots won't be happy with my analysis, but it's based on on research. The Europeans have always been more, if you will, tuned to the needs of people with substance abuse. They were less punitive. Services have been free. They moved quickly, trying to meet the social and medical needs of their patients. They didn't have the pill mill that we had in America and the United States. A lot of physicians write all kind of painkillers, but which is even worse, and I don't want any other uh, profession jumps at me. In America, a lot of people can prescribe, including nurses, including some psychologists, and they don't always do a good job. And so that was one of the main reasons. Now we are cutting the pill mill in many ways, but there's still other issues to do. I also think that there's something that I call it the American psyche. In America, people have no tolerance to any kind of pain. So I used to say when I came to this country that in America, if you think you're going to have a headache in a month, a month from now, you're going to start to take your anti-headache medications instead of saying some things I can manage, some things I can deal with. And the drug companies jumped on this and realized that Americans don't want to, so to speak, even mildly suffer. So the production of painkiller increased and people bought into it. And before you knew it, we had this major epidemic on our hands. Last figures are above 100,000 people died from drug overdose in the United States in the last couple of years. This is terrible. Absolutely. And you bring an interesting perspective because you're not from this country. So talk a little bit about how it differs from where you're from and really the stark differences that you do notice. You kind of touched on Well, I can there. give you the statistics and people can ponder what it is. A country that has the best rate, so to speak, the lowest rate of fatal overdose is Portugal, which is about six per 100,000. Southern Mediterranean, happier people, you know, warm weather, France, Italy, it's about 15. You move to the British Isles, it's 30 to 40. And by the way, Scotland has a major, major difference from Wales and England. Nobody understands exactly why. You move to Scandinavia, it's 70 to 80 per 100,000. You come to America, it's about 330, 350 per 100,000. So we move to 6 to 15, two digits, and then Look at this. And I don't think there's more psychopathology here compared to European countries. Something is wrong with the system, something is wrong with the attitude, and something is wrong how slowly we react to this epidemic. So what is your ultimate root goal? <laughs> root Center for Advanced Recovery. Sure. What is your root goal here going forward with this grant and you know with your research? Okay. My main interest is the intentionality of fatal overdose, not the accidental per se. I would like to find ways to identify people who are more susceptible or more vulnerable to suicidal behavior and act it out, if you will, by drug overdose. So to simplify it, some people have death wishes, general ones, among substance abusers, and they might say, well, you know, I'm not going to do anything intentionally, but I'm going to take my my drug, I'm going to take the dose, and if something happens, so be it. 
However, there's also the issue of intentionality. That people say, I would like this to be the way I end my life because, you know, ending my life on a high, it's not so bad. And there is actually a certain correlation, R equal 0.58, which is quite robust between these two elements of intentionality and death wish. And we would like to be accurately identify these people while in treatment so we could enroll them in a more specific interventions to reduce suicidality that can wax and wane, but it's a, an existential issue. For example, if people do DBT, dialectic behavioral therapy, the first and most important aspect is the existential one, which means life preservation. All the other issues, why you behave the way you behave, what happened between you and your parents when you were little, are secondary. First of all, we are here to save life and it develops a better prevention intervention network. You hear teens and you hear about the younger and younger generations that are becoming susceptible to this problem. That's, that's scary to hear, not only as just an individual, but especially as a parent. And we do offer teen services. Speak to the parent who may come across this podcast and what you think they should look out for. Well, I think that we are not doing a good enough job at improving resilience of our kids. Prepare them for life. I may sound a little bit like old school, because I'm an old school, that life is not always rosy. You can compliment your kids for waking up in the morning, breathing or eating. Wouldn't it be nice if they would be able to benefit by doing something that indeed is worthy of compliments? They also need to be prepared for difficulties in life and how to manage them. And as much as we want to protect them, there is a certain level here of partial immunization. When you slowly but surely increase the, the toxic elements of life you expose them to. Unfortunately, parents lost total control over the kids since the electronic era came. I'm an analog guy who lives in a digital world. And our parents and we had a little bit more control over our kids. Parents don't know what the kids are doing online. Parents don't know a lot of things about the kids, and kids get advice from all kind of obscure as well as popular sites, and we see an increase in rates of depression, we see increase in rates of suicide, now even among age groups that I haven't seen it in my early and mid-life career, age 10 to 14. I haven't seen 10 to 14 kids who were suicidal or committed suicide 20 years ago or even 15 years ago. Now, it's quite common. So we need to kind of rethink exactly how we build resilience, how we deal with vulnerabilities, and start from the bottom up and not from the top down. Well, Dr. Kemener, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your insight here, and it'll be extremely inspiring and you know captivating to watch how this progresses. So best of luck to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. We are so excited for the future for the Root Center for Advanced Recovery. So make sure you stay up to date with us on social media so you can learn about when future podcast episodes are released. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, LinkedIn, and you can always shoot us a question, a comment, or even let us know about future topics that you'd like to see us look into. You can also visit our website, rootcenter.org, for more information. And as always, remember, progress is the destination.